Welcome into another edition of the Home Run Throwback Podcast, brought to you by Broadway Sports Media. Broadway Sports Media, our new website. Check it out. A lot of cool stuff going on over there. Uh, Tape with the Titan has been a big hit. We've had Khalif Raymond and David Long most recently, so check that stuff out. BroadwaySportsMedia.com is where you can find all of that content. Um, so got some promos going on there, so check that out. Tonight, very excited to be joined by Jonathan Hutton. Jonathan, how are you doing tonight? Jimmy, I'm great, man, and I have really enjoyed uh, the site and the podcast. I've, I've heard the Mike Keith pod that you had earlier. I know Chad uh, crushed it earlier with a, a podcast with you as well, so um, I'm pumped to, pumped to join you. Yeah, man, we're really excited to have you. So uh, kind of along the same lines, what we started with with Chad, um, you know, Midday 180, y'all have been doing a sports talk radio show for, what well, I guess you did four months, something like that, without any sports. So kind of take us through what that transition was like, you know, mid-March, everything kind of comes to a screeching halt, and then you all still have to do a show every day, but you don't have any sports to talk about. Yeah, crazy times, man. Um, and thinking back to it, it it feels like it was last year and like last week all at the same time because, you know, we were going 100 miles per hour in March with the show and events. You know, we went from the Super Bowl to the NFL Combine to the SEC basketball tournament, and then things shut down. We were in studio one day after the SEC basketball tournament was canceled, and then we were sent home, and I started broadcasting the show on Skype. Uh, that I think it was a Thursday uh, from the, the bonus room of my house. I've eventually moved into my office, which was filled with just random junk that I eventually got around to, uh, to cleaning out, uh, and this, it kind of motivated me to put the office together because of – broadcasting from home we made a little makeshift home studio and paul and chad did the exact same thing we bought the uh, the same microphones two days into to broadcasting from home and the rest is history we've we've been doing it from home except for two days most recently this past week we we had a preds watch party where like us and 30 listeners got together and socially distanced and and watched the the preds playoff uh, games against arizona but other than that, we have done every show from home, which is crazy to think about. And honestly, it's been a lot easier than I would have told you I thought it was going to be whenever we started this in March. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been good stuff. And y'all obviously pivoted pretty quickly to things that would carry over, um, you know, relevance in a time where there wasn't any sports to talk about. Um, hopefully we're transitioning into now a point of sports, uh, the NFL I mean, it sounds like from everything that was reported, what they say, they had less than 60 positive tests yeah. throughout the whole league. Um, so, I mean, that, that has to be a good sign for the NFL, at least getting started in September. Uh, it's a great sign, you know, that, that guys are taking it and, and uh, taking it serious and, and they're doing the right things now. Um, you know, all the worry was that these players who in the NFL PA were, they were even warning certain players, Brady and Tampa Bay come to mind. Um, that, you know, hey, you're not doing the right thing by working out and doing some drills on your own during a time of lockdown. And the, the worry was that other players across the league were all doing the same thing. There just weren't cameras and choppers overhead trying to figure out if t Tom Brady was throwing, a, you know, a pass. So uh, um, it turns out that I think guys actually did take it uh, fairly serious uh, this offseason, which is great. And and now hopefully Fingers crossed that we we move towards week one. I'm glad that they canceled the preseason. Uh, I think that's going to be very beneficial to the entire league. Uh, the 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 
I guess the level of play may not be what fans want it to be maybe in week one. But I think we'll have a week one because they're not playing a preseason. It gives them some more time uh, to stay balanced across the league, uh, to get into a training camp, to put the pads on and acclimate, and not just randomly show up and two weeks later you know, uh, start, start traveling. You know, the Titans will be traveling to Washington next week, or this coming week, rather, excuse me, if, um, if the schedule were the, the exact same. And, and I think, thankfully... We're not rushing into that. I think they made the right call. How much of an advantage is it for the Titans to have as much continuity as they do on offense with, like you said, I mean, obviously we haven't seen an offseason program, not seeing a preseason. Um, It it seems like that would be a huge advantage for the Titans to be bringing back so many of their offensive starters from last year. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, what makes it so appealing for the Titans fan is you don't really have the questions that so many different fan bases have right now. Um, so even if you re- you return your quarterback, in some cases you're changing your offensive coordinator. Jacksonville comes to mind in that instance. Um, you, you, there's been a ton of quarterback movement. We saw more this this offseason free agency than I ever thought we would see in free agency with some marquee names all jumbled in there. Um, so you, some offenses have a new quarterback learning a system. Some have drafted their future quarterback. Others have traded away marquee talent around their, their QB, thinking of Houston here, where Watson no longer has Hopkins. So they're acclimating to new weapons offensively. And the Titans have none of those questions. They, they return practically everyone on offense. Jack Conklin's in Cleveland, but they feel like they have their future right tackle on Isaiah Wilson and they have Dennis Kelly ready to go in week one if Wilson's not ready, which is a great backup plan and a great starting plan at right tackle at that. So all things even right now, you, uh, I think the final four teams uh, left in the, the playoffs last year feel great, great about not having a preseason uh, and, and not having time uh, to to actually show their hand, so to speak. And I think I, I would throw Baltimore in the mix in that in that conversation too. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, there's so many questions across the NFL, and I think there are, there are certainties with the teams at the top from last year that return practically everyone. And, and the Titans are, I mean, for the first time in a long time, they're in that very small number of teams that can point to certainties. And the Titans have several on offense. We also saw the video the other day when Mike Vrabel was asked about Davion Clowney for the, you know, whatever, hundredth <laughs> time of yeah. this offseason. Um, now, I saw some the other day that he may not, you know, it may be the end of August before he reports anywhere, right? I think they were going to push for him even with Beasley. But the, the whole, everyone would agree that you, you bring in Clowney, he's going to be a disruptor that helps the players around him flourish. Um, so does that help your, your sack numbers? Maybe. Um, but it's not like you bring him in, drop him in and Clowney's getting double digit sacks. He can help some players around him, uh, go to work. And I think they need him uh, on this defense to to move around a bit with their front, with their versatility that they want. But beyond that, Jimmy, I, I, I think they need, they need a true, just third down pass rusher. I'm looking for someone that's speed off the edge. Um, that's good. I realize that's hard to find here. That's why Beasley was signed to begin with on a one-year contract. Um, I still think Clowney's in the mix 
with or without Beasley reporting to, to get to your question, because he is a, a cog to, I think, the, the overall defensive scheme. And by bringing him in, you lift the uh, you, you lift so many different players uh, talents around him and what guys do best. Um, it, and I, I think that the sales pitch with Clowney is similar to the sales pitch to Beasley. It's a one year contract. Uh, approve it year for you, and then you go make the money you want to make. Yeah, so transitioning to the offensive side of the ball, I don't think we've talked about the Derrick Henry contract. Um, I think, you know, if you're paying attention to this team, I know there's, a, there's the don't pay the running back crowd out there um, that was, you know, gave, you a, gave a little bit of pushback against that deal. But with how this team is constructed and what they want to do on offense, how did you feel about, that Derrick Henry contract when you saw it? Well, the, the contract that I saw when they announced on Twitter that it was, what, four years, 50 million, I was expecting, like, the numbers to be much larger on paper than what the contract actually was. One of those where you're like, okay, this is a four-year deal. They can get out in two, and it's roughly, you know, a two-year, $25 million deal. But on paper, it says four years and 70 million, right? Like, Something and when I saw four years fifty million, I, I did a double take because I already knew that the contract was in the Titans' favor based on that. Now, from Henry's stance, he's looking at it for next off season, where he knows he's likely to be franchise tagged again. And if not, he's going to hit an open market that has more running backs in free agency on the open market than what he would have faced this year. And the Titans held the leverage this year. So he's making around the, the number he would make next year on a franchise tag over the next two. And then after that, he'll count around $15 million against the cap, which is, which is very doable, manageable for, for the Titans. Or it's also uh, a, a, a number that they can restructure in the, in the team's favor again. I, I think there's a great – I think this, this proves there has always been a great line of communication between Henry and the front office – Robinson loves him and wanted to sign him. It wasn't just going to be a business decision of the franchise tag, albeit it would have been a smart move if, if Henry wanted to be paid Ezekiel Elliott money, but he didn't. I think he knew uh, long-term looking ahead, uh, facing uh, a running back group as we look ahead with the guys currently right now, uh, Dalvin Cook, Fournette, Alvin Kamara, those guys were going, as of today, scheduled to be free agents, and you put Henry in the mix. At at best, he's looking into the franchise tag and more uncertainty. And now he has some stability contractually with some bonus money that he can he can pick up as well. And he's got money in his pocket today that he wouldn't have had. So I think it's a win-win, but it is a huge victory for the Titans because they now have their offensive line set. They have their quarterback under contract for four years. Same goes for Henry. And then on the outside, they have A.J. Brown, who is a beast. Jonu Smith in the final year of his deal. Um, I, I think you we can make the easy argument, and I'm sure you would, that he deserves to be extended. The offense structurally looks really good right now, and it starts right up the center uh, with the offensive line, the quarterback, and, and Henry, who was the, the MVP of the postseason. What do you think we can expect from Corey Davis? I mean, obviously, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Uh, started on PUP. I think Paul reported today that he had toe surgery, which is why he started the camp on PUP. What, what, 
what do you think we can expect from him in, you know, what's now a contract year? You know, I, I want to, I want to say <laughs> we will see a motivated Corey Davis. Um, I would have told you that last year though. Um, but now we have a defined role for him. It's no longer is Corey Davis a number one wide out in the NFL. Corey Davis is the second option. And that's not a bad receiver to have as the number two receiver. The great news in all of this is they found their go-to number one in A.J. Brown. And personally, I like wide receivers in contract years. I think Corey Davis can have a nice year within the framework of this offense. I don't think he takes a step back from what we've seen. Does he have the breakout season that we've all been waiting for? I, I can't point to that either, Jimmy, because I think there's so many weapons offensively that they're going to spread the wealth a bit. And again, he's not the one number one wide out. That A.J. Brown's going to get his. So um, I, I think we'll see a steady Corey Davis. I think we will see a cons- more consistent Corey Davis in the final year of his deal, uh, knowing that he's hitting free agency and uh, – it's unlikely that he's back, uh, but it's a it's a prove it year, and I, I like the playmaker and the skill position roles that that, that have to go out and prove it. Um, that it's a turf toe issue that he had from 2019, where he told uh, he told Lawan on Bussin Bussin with the boys actually that he had a turf toe issue. I'm assuming that it's the same foot that he had uh, uh, something done with this off season that's keeping him on pup. But but nonetheless, I. I, I think we'll see a, a, a consistent version of Corey Davis where I want to see him improve is in the red zone. You know, he's got to pick up the production, getting points on the board. He's certainly capable of it, but we haven't seen that many touchdowns. What six over the last two years. Uh, that's not enough. Um, he, he needs to pick up the pace in the red zone with the production and, and be the playmaker that maybe not that they drafted him to be, cause he's not going to be the playmaker that the number five overall pick w- would have uh, as far as expectations. But he, he needs to put up Tajay Sharp-like numbers in the red zone, if not more, because Tajay had several big plays in the back of the end zone for Tannehill down the stretch of the regular season. Do you have questions about leadership on this team? I mean, on defense, you lost Logan Ryan. You lost Wesley Woodyard, who, I mean, his production was not necessarily there last year, but you got a veteran. You lost Jarrell Casey. Um, so, I mean, there's some question marks there. I know with the interview that Taylor Lewan did when he met the talk to the media this week. Um, I know you talked about on the midday 180 about how that was the good Lewan, the, the leader that you <laughs> want to see. Um, yeah. But who steps up, do you think, to kind of take that role that they, they have lost a few veterans um, that, you know, production, whatever, but you, you had those, those guys that you knew were the leaders in the locker room. Who do you think are the guys that step up this year to, to fill that role? So, just looking around the defense, Bayard is a given. Vaccaro is a given. I, I think the the leaders that leave the secondary, and Logan was a, a great one for the secondary, I think they pick up where they left off leadership-wise with those two guys because they, all of these players in the secondary are, are self-motivated anyway. Uh, and then you have the guys leading the charge, and it starts with 31 Kevin Bayard. Uh, beyond that, they bring in Jonathan Joseph, who is, uh, according to John McClain in Houston, the greatest leader that they've had other than J.J. Watt. Um, he, he calls Jonathan Joseph the greatest free agent signing in the history of the Texans. 
uh, because not only what he did on the field, but what he did in the locker room. So Joseph will come in and lead, albeit he'll, he'll be quiet in the beginning because he's new to the locker room. But I, I expect him to play a nice role in, in leadership, uh, even if he's not going to get the credit from the jump on all this. From, from, the, from the other levels, you're going to have to ask guys to step up. Daquan Jones is going to have to be a leader. It, 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 he's allowed to step up and be that guy, even if it's not someone that immediately jumps to mind. Uh, Rashawn Evans um, has been more vocal this offseason with uh, a lot of the media availability he's been given. And Harold Landry, um, you know, Landry, it's, it's time for him to step into that role too. I, I think we, we need to see the, the turn in leadership from Evans and Landry from the draft a few years back. Um, this is the time for them to take over that spot. When they came in, you mentioned some of the veterans that were on this defense. Now it's time. Guys that were handpicked by Vrabel, by the way, now it's time for these guys to turn into the leaders uh, in their two position groups. I don't think they'll lack leadership, though. I, I, I think guys will step in and do okay uh, early on. And again, I think the, the, the true leadership comes from the back end in the secondary. A lot was made uh, earlier this week when, or lastly, whenever it was, that Ryan Tannehill talked about working out with Darrington Evans in the offseason. Um, he's a guy that's really intriguing for what his role is going to be in this offense. We don't really know, haven't had the benefit of seeing anything in OTAs and that kind of stuff. What do you expect from him this year in this offense? I can't wait to see this because, you know, so 2018, we didn't see Henry really take over until right after the New England game. And that was the year, the last year, that Deion Lewis that they actually counted on him to be a running back and a receiver out of the backfield. But the thing about Darrington Evans is he's faster or just as fast, I should say, because Henry's fast. He's just as fast as Henry. Deion Lewis was, did not match the speed element of Derrick Henry. You actually lost speed on the field and in the backfield when Henry came off the field last year compared to when Lewis came on. So, I think that that is where we will see the immediate impact is with the speed of Darrington Evans. Um, I'm I'm eager to see how much of the the football IQ shines early on in the season from his position. Tannehill has really talked specifically about the football IQ. It's not just about the athletic traits, and he's got them, but how quickly he picked up on things. Uh, they worked together in Florida along with John U. Smith. Evans was there, and Tannehill picked up on. Hey, I didn't have to tell this guy, you know, the same thing twice as he was installing the offense with Darrington Evans. I, I'm eager to see how quickly that pays off for him on the field in Week One, Week Two, and can they add the extra layers to Arthur Smith's offense out of the backfield? More screens on first down, uh, more than just a third down back. And with the emphasis on the pass game, okay, now can you get a breather for Henry if you need and not lose some of the run game momentum and still have the play action to work off of? I think the answer is yes. And I, I really like Evans for that. I think he's much more than just this small back that you're going to flare out some passes to. I think he can run between the tackles. Yeah, because I mean, I think the really the only thing that Deion Lewis brought last year was the ability to pick up a blitz on third down, right? That that was the thing that that was really his yep. calling card for getting on the field last year. 
And so, I mean, is that the thing you're looking for, I guess, early on? Because we don't get a preseason. But, I mean, is that the thing you're going to be looking at when you see him on the field? Can he pick up a blitz? Is right. he a third down back? That type of stuff. Right. And it's more than just, this goes back to the football IQ, because it's more than just, okay, can this guy get a hat on the linebacker? It's identifying where the blitz is coming from. Uh, Coach Mack always likes to talk about the bogeys and disguises. Can Darrington Evans recognize the bogeys and disguises on the front of the, of the line and know the communication with what, okay, in, in this scenario, uh, I know exactly who the guard and tackle are, are putting a hat on and where the pressure is going to come from on the backside. Can he identify those things in real time? That's hard to do as a rookie and pick that, uh, pick that up in NFL speed. And that's where guys tend to struggle. Um, Deion Lewis, to his credit, was good in that area. And, and now we see if, if Evan steps in and, and can match that. And I, I also think, you know, Henry has to be able to do some of that as well. But you're right, Evans, that's where we actually see the true payoff. Can he, stay, can he stand in there and make the right read in pass pro and just get a chip on someone to allow Tannehill that extra half second to get that pass off? As we look around the division, I mean, that's where, I mean, if you hear any of these guys talk, the first step is winning the division. Titans haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. Um, it, it, you look at the Texans, like you said, you have questions. Um, they lost DeAndre Hopkins. What's that going to look like? Uh, the Colts added Phillip Rivers. How do you think the Titans are positioned this year in the AFC South? Right at the top. But the, to your point, you know, that that's the next step is winning the division. And... You know, love him or hating him, uh, hate him, and, and the majority of NFL fans, especially Texans fans, hate the guy, Bill O'Brien. He wins the division every year. You know, <laughs> you can you can hate the guy, but he wins the AFC South. Um, there's so there's so many question marks in Jacksonville. I'm not buying Gardner Minshew and and uh, and Jay Gruden and some of the some of the other issues going on there that they've had. Um, I think the team to beat. Uh, while Houston won the division, the team to beat to me right now is is Indy because of all the quarterback movement, Phillip Rivers will settle in just fine with Frank Reich, uh, former play caller for him out in San Diego. And now he's got a run game behind him that's consistent. He's got one of the best offensive lines, if not the best offensive line in the league. Um, so, you know, if, if Melvin Gordon was running behind Indianapolis's offensive line with Phillip Rivers. I wonder what we would have seen. You know, th- this is uh, this is interesting in Indy because they've got a three pack of running backs. Um, they've added some some weapons for Rivers, and defensively they've made some nice signings, especially in the secondary. So, and, and then they've added DeForest Buckner in the middle of that line too. So they get stronger in the run defense. They they've they've improved and. Uh, they're no longer, to me, just some eight and eight, nine and seven team. I, I think they're they're for real. I think the Titans are too, though. I I, I think if uh, the national analysts are looking around for divisions uh, of strength, AFC South is right there because you have Houston, who is the defending champ of the division, and now you have Rivers paired with Reich, along with all of their uh, additions, um, and and Houston. And let me go back to the Colts real quick because the Colts are built for this year. From this perspective, the the whole COVID-19, it's going to affect teams differently. And it's kind of the war of 
of who is the last last team standing at the end. Well, especially at quarterback across the league. That that's what concerns me for all these teams. And the the teams that have the best depth at that position right now, I look at New Orleans and I look at Indianapolis. Indianapolis has a three pack right now of QBs, uh, and then they go draft another one. So I mean I'm I'm looking at their their roster. They've they've got guys they can set aside and, you know, self isolate for a week and have the game plan ready if they need to turn to somebody. It's uh it's a nice luxury to have. It's a luxury the Titans had last year, and it's hard to pull off. And only a handful of teams have the veterans behind them, and that's why they're paying Jacoby Brissett $21 million guaranteed this year to be a backup. It's because of uh, the offseason of uncertainty that they just went through. They, they made the right call by bringing him back. Yeah, and you made a lot on your show about isolating a quarterback and a kicker, right? The, the two positions that are, that are tough to replace um, if somebody does you know, test positive during the week. Logan Woodside is the backup here. How do you feel about him if Ryan Tannehill tests positive and they've said, right, that it's basically three weeks if that happens? How do you feel about Logan Woodside you know, leading this team for three weeks if it comes to that? It's a mandatory three weeks if they put him on IR. So, you know, in, in the IR this year, you can pull a player off after three weeks. So, you know, that can be for COVID-19. Um, they could also isolate him and retest him and bring him back after, you know, 14 days. I believe PK was telling us on the show. Uh, so uh, there are some lines within that rule that are intriguing to me on how that will be manipulated this year. But nonetheless, you could, you could, there's a scenario where, uh, you play week two against Jacksonville, uh, and then have to get on the road and go to Minnesota. And again, a hypothetical here. But you're unsure as you get on the plane to go to Minnesota what the status is of your QB because of test results. MLB just went through this where they were really struggling to get test results back in time. So if you're waiting to get on a plane and you're turning to your backup reserve quarterback, number one, I want my quarterbacks guaranteed that they're not going to be exposed to the starter who's potentially a positive case or a backup who's potentially a positive case. You know, if the backup, if, if let, we use Woodside as the example, if Woodside tests positive, well, now, now they're down to, you know, the nitty gritty uh, of depth at the position. Um, that, look, and I, I, people are trying to get me to compare it to last year. Last year, last year was a luxury uh, for, the, for the Tennessee Titans, but I would go sign a fourth QB. I would have done that. I'm, I'm surprised that more teams aren't doing that right now. I'm carrying a, a, a practice squad quarterback, and I'm protecting that player on my practice squad, which you can do, I, I believe, three players on your practice squad, maybe four you can protect from getting signed to another roster. I'm doing that with a quarterback and a kicker. And I'm doing it with the kicker because we know just how important that position is. Um, maybe you, you don't protect that player every single week, um, but you better believe I'm making sure that I'm, I've got a capable kicker on game day that I know is getting on a road trip and going, going and going on that trip to Minnesota in my scenario, who's, who's going to test negative and can suit up for me on game day. And by all means, I'm having a capable veteran quarterback who I trust on, on a, a, a short notice situation. And again, in my, my situation, which I think we'll see, uh, a quarterback goes down on a Friday and you fly out on a Saturday. What do you do? Well, you got to be able to turn, turn it over to somebody that, that, that is more than just Derrick Henry and the Wildcat, which we've seen before with Blaine Gabbert. That, that, that's my overall concern. 
I use the Titans as the example. That would be my concern on practically every team across the NFL, except for a handful of players. Have they done enough at kicker? I mean, you've got a, an undrafted guy. You've got Greg no. Joseph, who, <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, you know, made his extra points, made his one field goal that he attempted. You have a, a handful of guys now that are out there that have done it. Goskowski, Graham yep. Gano, uh, Kai Forbath, all, all those guys are available. Do you think they should bring one of those guys in in training camp? My gut, here's my gut feeling on it, having talked to nobody to confirm this. Goskowski just moved here to Nashville um, or bought a house here. I don't know if he moved here. Okay, let me clarify that. He purchased a home in Nashville. Maybe that's just an investment, okay? And it's a great investment. Maybe it's uh, as soon as he can pass a physical, he's going to pass a physical <laughs> and you sign him. Uh, because he had some off-season hip surgery right after the Patriots' season was ended by the Titans up in Foxborough. So that's that's the the connection to me that makes the most sense. You have a capable kicker who has been through it, kicked in some tough positions and conditions, uh, has faced a lot of pressure, has been on some championship rosters. Again, that that's kind of the fabric of what I want in that guy. Beyond that, Aldrich Rosas is a, a guy who was just released by the, the Giants who had a good year in 2018, only missed one kick, went to the Pro Bowl. He was in camp with the Titans at one time. So they, they have some familiarity with him. Um, yes, I'm, I'm making sure that I get another kicker on the roster. I, uh, to me, that's points on the board. And in the Titans' case last year, they lost games because of their kicker. Um, they're, they're hosting a playoff game, if not for their kicker. Uh, kicker issues and they're extremely fortunate people say luck I say they're just fortunate that they did not have to use or go to their kicker on their run through the playoffs until they got to Kansas City which still I mean consider how close of a game it was in Foxborough and they did not have to go to their kicker to attempt a field goal that's crazy to think about that's how fortunate they were I doubt they're that fortunate this year what have you seen from Mike Vrabel? I mean, I, now we're entering year three with him. I, I thought some of the things early in year two, some of the decisions were questionable. But then you saw, you know, in Foxborough, him using the, the Bill Belichick clock thing against him. Yeah. That was really fun to watch. But what have you seen in his growth as a head coach in the NFL? I, first off, I love his approach in the locker room. Like I, I've been really impressed with how he treats every player the exact same way. I, I think there is a huge benefit, which I, I undervalued whenever he was hired. There is a huge benefit to Mike Vrabel being able to relate to any position on the roster, any player that's in his locker room because he's been there. You know, He was the guy battling for just a special teams role uh, to a, a true leader on defense and a Super Bowl champion who's catching touchdowns as a linebacker. You know, like he's done, he's done all the different roles and has played that, played it to uh, throughout his career that he can relate to now and that the players appreciate. Um, he's a straight shooter. He's no BS. Um, and he has the pedigree and the championship rings and just the New England way of doing things that everyone respects. You may not love the Patriots, but the Patriots win titles. They hoist trophies. So when you say... Not only did I play for the Patriots, I was a leader for Bill Belichick's teams on the opposite side of the football with Tom Brady. That is a massive check mark for him when it comes to respect across the league. 
And I, I think that rubs off on the players. Um, I, and again, I think he's very consistent with his day-to-day approach of that locker room. What he, what he's done though, is he's owned it. I think he's been very accountable, uh, with certain decisions. He doesn't hang anyone out to dry. It's always on him. And you know, the, the decisions he's made, um, of not just, you know, he gets, he gets a ton of credit for, you know, bringing in Dean Pease. But a lot of what Dean Pease was doing was also what Vrabel wanted to do. Um, but he also gets a ton of credit for hiring Arthur Smith. I mean, he, he's done a great job of evaluating his coaching staff as well. Like, consider, I think the one, the one thing that's not talked about enough with Vrabel is all the different coaching changes we've had recently with this franchise. Think about how many assistant coaches have been through those doors. And now think about the coaching staff that he put together and the coaches that wanted to coach for him. Um, that speaks volumes amongst the, the NFL circles, like outside looking in and the staff that he put together. Arthur Smith will put together a staff like this whenever he becomes a coach because of the connections he's made and the respect that, that he has across the league. Vrabel's done it. You know, he's one of the young up-and-coming coaches because he has such a great staff around him, guys that want to work for him. And by the way, Vrabel points out he wants guys who are loyal, guys who are not trying to automatically look to the next job, right? That's hard to find, and he finds guys that that want to do that. That's why Hazlitt was hired. He mentioned that in Hazlitt's hiring. I, I commend him for the staff that he's put together. I think it's very undervalued. We don't have an official word on who's calling the defensive plays, not a defensive coordinator. Is, is Vrabel calling those defensive plays? I think it's Vrabel. Yeah. I think it's Vrabel, but I also think it's Bowen. Like when, when Vrabel's doing something uh, that is required of a head coach, I don't think he has one problem uh, in, in, in the thought process of letting Shane Bowen make a decision. I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of like, he speaks for me if I'm not available to do that. That to me, I think we're we're seeing that from a from a locker room or from a meeting room standpoint, and that's certainly the case. But in a game time situation, Vrabel's making the call. Uh, but if for whatever reason he's got to take care of something, I think he's perfectly okay with Shane Bowen making the call. I think what we're seeing is the future defensive coordinator Shane Bowen. They're not labeling him that. But I think that's what we're seeing. And Vrabel's the play caller of his defense. And, and rightfully so. It's not like he came in and immediately started calling his own plays. Uh, he did it with Pease. And I, I do believe a lot of the system that they're running will carry over to what Vrabel wants to do and what he'll call because they were running Vrabel's defense. And then just talk about the organization as a whole. Um, the Titans have, I mean, you've been here for a long time. Uh, I've lived here all my life, but seeing, you know, various iterations of this Titans franchise. He, and we had the whole transition from Bud to Tommy Smith to now Amy Adams Strunk. Um, and the Titans, it seems like now are, you know, you, you had a point where they didn't know who the owner was and there was questions about that <laughs> kind of stuff, you know. I know. And, and now they're, I mean, I, th- I think they have to be mentioned as one of the model franchises uh, in the NFL with, with some of the, of the hires they made this offseason, just, you know, non-football, not on the field, let's, let's say, um, yeah. types of hires. Um, wh- what's it been like to see that transition happen over the last, I mean, even 10 years, but especially as Amy Adams Strunk has taken over? 
Well, let's start just from the football side of things because that's that's the mentality of the franchise right now. Everything is about football. Everything is centered around if, if football is the pebble that you throw in the middle of the lake or the pond, the organization, everything else other than football are the ripples outside of where that pebble landed. But the pebble itself is the organization for football. Everything centers around it. So it's John Robinson. It's Monty Austin Fort, who he hires from from New England and Ryan Cowden. That trio is as solid of a front office uh, establishment as we've seen uh, in Nashville. And Robinson's going nowhere. Austin Fort now takes a position that Robinson had in Tampa prior to him becoming a general manager. And Ryan Cowden is already getting mentions across the league whenever general manager openings take place. So uh, the the structure there is firm, it's solid, and it, it goes back to the, 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 the scouting of exactly identifying who they want and the type of players they want. They've, they've made it clear the type of front office structure that they want with that with that with those three and again it starts with robinson beyond that though what they've done and the the money that they've allocated for the organization through amy adam strunk and through the hires now of the executive vice presidents like adolfo birch from the league consider the voice they now have with the nfl as they get set to do some stadium renovations and decisions in the near future. And we're just around the corner from seeing that decision made between the city and the NFL and ownership. Adolfo Birch will be great in that role. A Nashvilleian who has been there and done that with the National Football League uh, and now works in the front office for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, made a lot of sense to bring him in. Um, you know, they, they hire Burke Nighthill to take over for Steve Underwood, who retires after doing great work as the team's president. But again, they, they bring in some, some people around him, like Adolfo Birch, that has a voice with the league. Steve Underwood had a great connection with the NFL front office. He could call the NFL. Same, same goes for Adolfo Birch now. So, like, that, to me, when I saw that hire, it just makes total sense with what they, the Titans have on the horizon for why you you would want to hire a guy like that and why it makes, you know, such a, um, I, I guess a loud ring to me whenever he was brought in. I, I really like the structure, Jimmy, and we're not too far removed from thinking this was, you know, a rudderless ship, right? I mean, this was what, 2013, 2014, when we had no idea what was going on with, with, uh, with the front office, with ownership. I mean, we just didn't know, um, and, and now you have an, you know, we're, we're no longer, I mean, <laughs> we're no longer talking about whether or not the owner wants to live in the city. <laughs> she owns yeah. like three homes here now. Like imagine, compare those days where we're like, okay, d- does Amy Adams drunk really want to run the team or does she just want to live in Houston? No. In fact, she, she owns three homes in Nashville. Um, we're, we're no longer having to just discuss the future of the franchise and whether or not the Titans are for sale. They've doubled their employee base throughout all this, and they're adding to the, the facility. No John Bon Jovi buying the team anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, eventually um, something will happen down the road, like long term, and Jason Lockenfour, or the ghost <laughs> of Jason Lockenfour, will take, will take credit for that report. 
All right, last thing from uh, before we let you get out of here. Uh, as we sit here, you know, like I said, August 6th, um, assuming that the the whole season gets to play out, I, there's still a lot of questions yeah. with COVID and everything. What is a successful run for this team? Because, you know, last year you get the AFC Championship game. So, I mean, the next step, obviously, is getting to the Super Bowl. But, you know, a lot of things have to break your way or, or whatever. What's a successful run for this team in 2020? First... I think they're going internally. They're never going to say this. I, I think internally, though, it has to it has to start with hosting playoff football. That's number one. Um, the the grind that it took on the the, the toll of the team to go from New England and, and to make the run to Baltimore and to have the the super just emotional highs and then run into the bus saw of Kansas City. Um, was the right team won the AFC Championship game last year. Kansas City won the Super Bowl, and rightfully so. Um, we know they're the team to beat. The Titans need to host that game. Like that, that to me, is a deciding factor in why that game was, was out of hand and out of reach in the second half. So I'm, I'm looking at it from that perspective. Um, but it's also extremely hard to make a run that they made last year uh, and do it without winning your division and, again, without having a bye. And I I think you reduce one of those playoff games and you end up hosting. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I was comparing the 2018 that lost to Baltimore in the divisional round to the team I watched in the postseason this year. To me, the team that we watched postseason this year, they don't lose in the divisional round at home. There's a different mindset and mentality with this group. And that's that would lead to the types of moments that they hope to have in the near future uh, with the window of opportunity open for them. I, I think success runs through Nissan Stadium with or without fans, because, again, I think it's more about travel and, and just doing doing your business and doing it in your home city where you're you're comfortable. Um that's how they. That's how they reach the pinnacle of what they want. They want to do is is playing that Super Bowl game. Yeah, absolutely. You agree? I mean, I. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's winning, next level. It's not. It's not just winning the AFC Championship and going to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's easy. Of course, they want to play in the Super Bowl. But I think their path, it the path has to be. They have to win their home games. October is a huge month for them. They have to win their home games take advantage of playing at home and not having to travel during that month and, and then control your, your own path from getting the buy and having to win two games to reach Tampa. Like that's, that's successful based on the expectations of this team. Yeah. Cause they've only won the AFC South once, right? 2008. Right. And then, uh, and then you have the, you go back to the central. Yeah. Right. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If they can host a playoff game, I think that's the thing that – and that, that's what they all talk about, right, is that's where it starts is winning the division, hosting a game. Hopefully you get a bye. But just, just being division champs I think is kind of the next step. And maybe getting even getting over that 9-7 and seven hump, um, yeah. which, you know, and again, you can debate last year's team. Um, you look at the – you know, the difference between when Mariota was the starter versus Tannehill was the starter – um, you know, I think you make an argument they were better than a 9-17, but at the end of the day, that's what the record was. And you know what, though? Like, as we if we fast forward six months from now and we're looking back and thinking, okay, here's what happened. 
it still may go back down to which team was able to uh, battle the COVID storm, you know, which team didn't lose the most players weekly um, or, you know, were able to keep the most players healthy. I mean, uh, there is some luck involved there, some good fortune. You know, it, the team that has the fortune that the Titans have with the kicker situation last year in regards to COVID this year with their prime playmakers, the, that team's very likely to be in the postseason this year as, yeah. as we move forward. That's that's the unfortunate part and the unknown with all of it and the uncertainty. But just all things being equal, this this Titans team should be hosting playoff football in 2020. That's That, to me, is just the, the bare minimum mark of where you start your to 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 place goals if you're writing them down. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hutton, I appreciate you so much taking the time to do this, and uh, we'll see you on the midday 180 and Titans Radio game day host. Same same deal this year. Yeah, same same deal. Um, as of now, the 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 crew is ready for for Monday Night Football. I, I say that because um, you know Monday Night Football in Denver. As of now, uh, I say that knowing that the other leagues, the the radio crews are broadcasting from their home booth and watching off a monitor. But as we sit here on August 6th, the plan is for Titans Radio to be on the road calling from a stadium booth wherever the Titans are playing. Let's, let's hope that that stays the plan. Yeah, absolutely. We can all send our prayers up that that's the way it plays out. So. Minimum, we need Mike Keith and Coach Mack there. Yes, that, absolutely. All right, so that was Jonathan Hutton of the Midday 180 and Titans Radio, and we appreciate him so much taking the time to join us tonight on the Home Run Throwback Podcast. Again, we are a part of Broadway Sports Media, broadwaysportsmedia.com um, is where you can find a, a ton of great t- content. So uh, check that out and become a subscriber. A lot of cool stuff going on there. So for Jonathan Hutton, this is Jimmy Morris saying thanks so much for listening to Home Run Throwback, and we will talk to you again later. Brought to you by Broadway Sports Media.